0: Thank you, everybody, for listening today. I am talking to Lana Raffaella. She is the founder at Cherry Red Content, specializing in post-AI written content. So that's a great place to be right now, and also an author. So if you do your own research on Lana, I think you'll find a lot of her work, which is very, very cool. Yeah, Lana, thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you. It's, It's great to be here.
0: So I originally came across your work as a copywriter, given one of your a very popular thread on indie hackers where you decided to give a lot of free landing page feedback to indie hackers you know what inspired the generosity
1: well i love indie hackers i've been in the startup world since i first started working and obviously you know copywriting can get very expensive for an indie hacker for a solo founder on a budget that's too much often it's too much But I do think that awesome projects deserve the good copy that a professional copywriter can give. Plus, it was great to see what people were working on. And I have to say that it's also been great for lead generation. So even if it's been a few years since I did that, I still have a few clients popping up whose projects are now huge things. And it's awesome to see that growth happen even years down the line. So... That's, that's kind of been my main reason. And I love the forum. I'm sorry, I can't be more active, but I love it.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan as well. So if you reflect on all the different landing pages you looked at, I can't remember how many it was that commented on there. But what would you see as being the really common mistakes that people made again and again?
1: So the first one, definitely the lack of clarity when it comes to their unique value propositions. So founders, and I experienced this myself with Cherry Red, it's very hard to choose just one thing that you want to focus on, that you want to highlight in the landing page. So instead, there's a combination of different different factors, and it makes the landing page seem really confusing and hard to navigate for a visitor. So you have to be really clear on that. Secondly, we try to boil the ocean. So there's a lot of verbosity. There's a lot of words. It's it's very long. And let's be honest, people tend to skim read landing pages. They only start to focus when they see, I don't know, a specific benefit, a specific feature, something that really grabs their attention. So I would say those two are the main things. Obviously, you know, there's also the problem of trying to be just like everyone else. So that's a huge thing in B2B, which it's not bland to bland. It's not boring to boring. You're still talking to people. But what happens is that founders, if they don't have previous copywriting experience, they'll default to what they're seeing on every other page. And you lose the personality, you lose that differentiating factor. So you just end up being like everyone else, which is not good for copywriting at all. And I would say it's, it's not very good for business either. So those three are the main things that I've seen people struggle with.
0: Cool. Okay. So if we had to describe a bullseye that people should aim for when they're, when they're creating a page, what would you say are the key elements that they really need to nail?
1: So the first thing is what makes you different? So why should I care? People are exposed to so much content online that you really have to do something to prove that you're different. You have, to, you have to earn that time that they're giving you. And that's why I say, don't be bland. Try not to copy what everyone else is doing. Secondly, why should I care? So this is especially important if you're doing demand gen. If your product is similar to something that already exists, You should be fine with just differentiating. But if you're doing something innovative, if you're, I don't know, AI, I think sounds like a good example today, although it's very popular, you have to prove why people should care. And that's something that's just missing. It's not enough to talk about your features unless people know to want them. You have to produce that effect. You have to create that want in your landing page. And then... There's also the question of objections. And this could be me because I do a lot of business with sales SaaS these days. But you have to respond to those objections. You need to know what's making your leads. Start to think about and second guess whether they should be really in business with you. So you have to address those objections, whether through your copy or through an FAQ section. But you have to do that. And then there's also the consequences unless people feel like they are in real pain if in, if they don't solve that problem they're probably not going to take action and there's this quote that i really liked and it's helped me with copywriting immensely it's by tony robbins and he says that people take action for two reasons first is either to move closer to pleasure or move further away from pain so keep that in mind as you create your copy and I think, I think you should be good after that. Just motivate them to take action. Don't just say, this is my product, this is it. Instead, explain how it specifically affects your target audience.
0: Turning to the first one you mentioned here is making it interesting and making it different. Is there a particular exercise that you go through or how do you tease this out for a particular product?
1: So for me, it's different because I'm a writer, so I'll usually use briefs. So when someone works with me, they get this really big brief where I get all the information on your value proposition, on your audience, on just getting the lay of the land to see what we're working with. But then I'll start with research. So what I like to do is I want to understand the niche in its entirety. So that's different for you if you're a founder, if you're already in the space, you already know these things. But as a copywriter, I don't. And I essentially have to become a nuclear physicist overnight. And obviously, I love Reddit. So Reddit is my best source for unfiltered feedback. So I'll try to do some, you know, brainstorming on there as well. If a client can put me in touch with someone else in their niche, that's fantastic. If not, I do have a network of subject matter experts who I talk to to truly nail down and narrow down on what's what's happening with the niche as it is. Why is this product necessary? And I'm trying to define constantly that content market fit. So that's, for example, in product management, there's something called the aha moment. So the moment where users start to get really, really into your product. And in copywriting, that's understanding the frustrations that are making people seek you out. So that's that's my process in short. But then again, it's different for everyone, really. And writing is, it's you know, it's the final stage. It happens the fastest if you can find what it is that people are struggling with. And if not, you know, you can always hack it. I don't know, try to find competitors on G2 and try to see how negative reviewers think about their products, what words they use and try to narrow down on a specific situation that's causing a lot of frustration. And then replicate that and respond to that with your landing page.
0: So we're, we're looking for an aha moment or a major benefit or a major problem, is that right? Is this what we're we're really narrowing down on?
1: Yes, exactly, exactly.
0: Do you have any examples of a product where you saw through the research, you found that aha moment?
1: Definitely. So, I've recently worked with a cold outreach client. They're trying to really combine everything that, you know, Instantly or Hunter, those sorts of products in different verticals do into one product at the same time and at a more affordable price. So, what we did then is we spoke to customers of their competitors and we understood that a huge problem was really convenience. And integrations. So integrations would break constantly. It was it was huge causing a huge problem. They couldn't understand their metrics holistically. They had to pull everything from different tools into a third tool. And it was just really messy for an average sales rep who should be hopping on sales calls. They had to do a lot of tech stuff. And we narrowed down on that. So their landing page started emphasizing the convenience, the time savings, all the other minor frustrations that would build up to a huge loss of revenue.
0: And you mentioned as a as second thing to really look for is the why care? How are those two points different?
1: So the first reason, so the first point is that you're focusing on frustrations. The second point is how are those frustrations affecting your business? So the first is the emotional stage, and we tend to make decisions with our emotions, and then we try to reason them away with logic. So what you're essentially doing in B2B, you're not just convincing your immediate customers, let's say a sales rep. You're also helping them convince their sales manager, their VP of sales, and that's where the second point comes in. So initially, you do care because it's causing you frustration. If you have to spend a lot of time just managing the integrations, that's a huge problem for you. But it also affects your revenue. So how much money could you make if you didn't have to waste time on routine tasks? And that revenue factors are really what your VP of sales is going to care about. So there's, there's that combination of first... Explaining to the immediate customer, immediate decision maker, and the person they have to explain their decision to. So
0: you're almost contextualizing the main benefit or the the main point of interest into a broader part of interest. So mm-hmm. if you would use yeah. a, a photo editing app as an example, would it be right mm-hmm. to say as as an example, you know, the easiest way to filter images so that you can publish more on Instagram and get more engagement? Exactly. Would that be right?
1: Yes, absolutely. You nailed it.
0: Very interesting. And how does this fit together with objections? Are you looking to push these on the the headline and the subline? Or what's the dynamic?
1: Mm -hmm. So typically, you'll mention the main benefits in the so called hero section. So that's what happens above the fold. That's the initial thing that people are going to land on. And that has to be really convincing to make them keep scrolling. And then you're going to talk about different objections. It depends on how strong those objections are. If one objection is immediately addressed in the headline, let's say for the photo editing app, I think, well, let's say, um, what could be our objection for that one? I think it could be ease of use. Hmm? Yeah. Okay, Let's, let's use ease of use as an example. So... Typically, it's not something that people look for in the hero section. So you're going to elaborate on that later on. So you're going to show how does this app work? And then you're going to show that it's really simple. So it's drag and drop. You can use it on your phone. You can use it on your desktop, and then you're going to mention it later on. But if it's something big, like, I don't know, pricing or let's say integrations or collaboration features, then you could mention it earlier on. So really it, it depends, but try to understand how much people care about the specific objection and then decide where to address it. If it's really important, address it in the hero section.
0: Mm, because addressing it in the hero section would be connected to the main value in that case, exactly. but if it's not connected to the main value, you would put it further down the page.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: You see a lot of landing page templates and they typically have, you know, three objection handling sections, you know, either stacked or or side by side. How do you work out how many to put on there?
1: That's a good question. I think it mainly depends on how many you have. And obviously, if you have, you know, 15 objections, that's not going to fit in there. So you're going to have to focus on prioritizing the main ones. And that also depends on your sales funnel. So let's say you have an immediate sign up. In that case, you'll want to handle the majority of things on the landing page. So you can combine it. I like to mix and match it sometimes. So I'll address the main three objections in the body copy, and then I'll address the others contextually and intuitively through the FAQ section. So that's, that's kind of up to you to decide on what matters and what's going to prevent people from trying your product in the first place. Because some objections, you know, they, they won't be able to see, for example, ease of use until they get started. So you have to make them want to get started.
0: You mentioned previously that you need to explain how the product works. I really want to ask you this because this is a personal bugbear of mine. I feel like a lot of products out there go a bit too hard on selling the sizzle and not the steak, and you can't actually work out what the product does. What is your perspective on this?
1: I think you're right. I think people tend to be too technical. And that's, again, a lot of founders are from a technical background. So I cannot fault them for that. But at the same time, you have to find the balance. If your product is really innovative through and through, then just talk about the main features that make it different, and then show a demo. I don't know. I think videos and gifs are a really good way to provide an explanation of how your product works and what it does without taking up the space. So I think there, with if if you work with design and copywriting, and if they work together. You can really create some magic, but don't overdo it. God, don't overdo it.
0: Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for how to make full use of that explainer real estate, you know, is it make sure they're prescriptive verbs or anything like this?
1: Well, I think it's it's always good to keep it short and sweet and tease people to want to sign up. So you can give it all away. It's like in cold email there have to be some curiosity gaps so you have to provide the majority of information but tease something as a reason to make them want to sign up definitely you know use action verbs and try to make the people feel like they're using your product already so i think with explainer videos for example and i'm going to use another cold outreach tool example for example the demo video, the explainer video should be like you're setting up a campaign in that tool. Don't just have a video pointing at different features because that doesn't give any context to the viewer. So try to make them feel like they're already being onboarded and that should help you make them want to use the tool.
0: What is the role of social proof on a page and how do you, how do you make them the best use of social proof on a page?
1: Mm -hmm. So social proof should be contextual. One thing that I see happen a lot is people are syndicating, I don't know, Twitter reviews or G2 Trustpilot reviews on the page, but they're not connected to use cases. They're not connected to specific problems. It's just a review saying, oh, wow, I love XYZ software. And that's good. And if you're first getting started, even that's better than nothing. But as you grow, as you get more testimonials, I really want you to connect them to specific use cases, to specific features, benefits. So for example, it's better to have a review saying, as a real estate agent, this tool has helped me increase my revenue by 30%. Or I've been able to save a lot of time that I spent on prospecting. So Try to, try to have some meat in that testimonial because testimonials are good, but they're even better if you can connect them to specific business outcomes.
0: Got it. So applying that idea a bit more broadly. So for example, if you have in the hero section, rather than just rated five stars, a good use of social proof could be something like, if we use the cold email tool, you know, <laughs> this amount of revenue generated via the tool
1: <laughs> exactly Would that be right exactly yes yes you can have the logo bar i call it the logo bar so it's if you have the clients and that sort of thing that's also good but you should have more you, you should have meteor testimonials somewhere down on the page then if if you can't put them right there
0: if you had to prescribe an mvp so someone's rushing to, to build their first landing page and just want to get it out there. And you're saying, hey, stop, make sure you've got these things. What would they be?
1: Mm-hmm. So the first thing, hero section. Second thing, benefits. Third thing, you know, features or how it works. Again, you can use a video to hack this if it's very verbose. Fifth thing, social proof. Again, testimonials that are really meaty that give some value instead of just, you know, being trust signaling. And then there's something we like to call a reinforcement statement. So that's a way just to reinforce what you've said in the header and remind the visitor of what they could get by using your software. I also like to put in FAQ sections, especially if the product is not quite intuitive or if it's a new product in the space. And finally, CTAs. And try to make your CTAs, I mean, call to actions, Try to make them unified. So don't don't try to you know sign up for a demo in the one CTA and then learn more in another. Try to make them all focus towards the same goal. If you want them to convert, then it's sign up.
0: Hmm, that's an interesting one because you see sometimes there's a temptation to get a little bit clever about the CTA, being like start saving money now enter a new world or something like this what's your advice around creating a, a practically effective cta
1: yeah so i like those C- ctas actually so it's not a bad thing for a cta to be descriptive as long as it says something as long as it's not co- convoluted but in essence what you really want to do with your cta is make sure that the lead knows what's going to happen next so sign up is always easiest because you know they're going to sign up for the tool But let's say if you're using something like Start Saving Money, then you have to make sure that all the content around that tells the visitor what's going to happen next. I always like to recommend experimenting with CTAs. You can also use the small font explanations under them, which is also a good way to do it. But I would say experiment with it. So try a simple version and then try something more descriptive. It can work either way. But I think the simple ones are good to get started with because they usually work. And unless you have a lot of time to dedicate towards testing your landing page, then it's better to start with simple.
0: I'm curious about the actual button itself. You know, I've seen very long buttons and very short buttons. In your experience, do you find that it, it, it makes a big difference?
1: I think that's more of a design question, but um, based on my experience, if you have a long button, then make sure it stands out because otherwise, if if you have long lines in your copy and if your formatting is structured that way, then it can really melt into the text and the point of call, calls to action is really to stand out. So highlight them and definitely try to keep them short. So that's that always stands out.
0: Coming back to the, the hero section briefly, I was curious to know that there sounds like there's both an art and a science and a black magic to writing compelling hooks. What what is your advice for people who want to write something a bit more engaging in the hero section?
1: Yeah, so that's um I, I think you I think you nailed it. It's there's there's magic to it. I think for me, it's a lot of coffee and just you know running, running around and jogging. Uh, but I would say start start by being clear about what you are and what you do differently. So, again, that's where we come back to the differentiating factor. Once you've nailed your value proposition, once you know why you do this one thing and why you do it well and why your leads care about it, you've already got a good baseline. Secondly, don't be bland, don't use jargon. Because, for example, let's use this as an as an example increase your lead quality that that means something but it's not an, it's not visual enough it doesn't it doesn't make people feel anything but on the other hand trying to use something more descriptive like start talking to people who are actually going to make your business grow it creates a scene it gives people emotions it helps them visualize it so try to use words that evoke visualization. Try to use real-life examples. I've seen a really good example of that a few months ago where the entire landing page was just storied. So you'd meet the protagonist who's struggling with a specific challenge. And it was so specific that they even mentioned the protagonist drinking coffee and fuming about a frustration. So that sort of thing try to be very very visual and very specific. And finally get a thesaurus, get a thesaurus and try to find words that aren't commonly used. Of course don't be, you know, don't be very um exclusive about it, don't exclude anyone, but try to do something fun. And really that's it, try to show your voice because a lot of a lot of the stuff out there is very generic and you want to stand out. So I think when you've got those three, so clarity of UVP, a visualized language, and some really fancy words, that's going to grab attention. So start with that. I think I think that's a good way to get started.
0: It's interesting because I, I've looked at a lot of uh, landing page copy, and I envy the people who can write something that is so... Um... It's just got the right amount of attitude in there to make it interesting and say something very cool. But it's very difficult to get that balance without being too cringy. You know, it could be if you go too far, it's like blow up your inbox with, with replies. And oh, okay, maybe that's a bit too much. You know, <laughs> these types of things. How would you get feedback on your, on your copy to know that it before launching the landing page to know that you've got the right mix there?
1: So you can get feedback from your peers or friends, but I think it's, that's not specific enough. I think you should really try to test it on a paying audience, so an audience that pays for your competitor's products. Typically, you can find these people who, who are leaving negative reviews, and I love people who leave negative reviews on my competitor's products, because you're always going to be able to connect with people who dislike a product more than people who like a product. I don't know, we're just, we're just wired that way. We like to rant more than we like to compliment. So try to create like a mini focus group. I don't know, five to 10 people is enough, especially if you're just getting started. And ask them what they think about your landing page. Ask them if, if it means anything to them, if your language is right, if they can relate to what you're saying because they're the people who have proven that they will pay for a product like that. Otherwise, you can get feedback pneumonia, which which isn't good because, you know, if you ask your friends, your family, your peers, you're just scattering that feedback and everyone's coming from a different perspective. So try to find the people who would actually be willing to pay for it.
0: And how do you connect with those people? Are you just sending cold email? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Actually, yeah, you can do that as well, but, um, you can also connect them with them on social media. So, I don't know, LinkedIn, for example, Twitter, that sort of thing. Facebook groups are actually a good way to get people like that. I don't, I don't use Facebook, but I've started using it for that. So try to find them on social and start a conversation. Cold email could be a good option, but it's, it's not happening in that context.
0: Understood. What are the typical messages that you would send to to get them engaged?
1: Mm-hmm. So you can, for example, mention their comment and ask a very specific question. So let's say you've seen that they've negatively reviewed your competitor, and you're wondering what it is and how it's affecting them in their day to day. And then you can mention that you're building a product. What's important is to break, break the ice. It's not going to happen in one email. So I get a lot of cold DMs from, you know, all sorts of people on Twitter. And what happens is they immediately ask for something from me. And I'm not going to provide that unless it's copywriting advice, but that's something else. You have to start that conversation and you really have to get the engagement going and explain why you've seen their review, why you care about the review and why you want to learn more. But usually when you ask people about business outcomes, they'll tend to want to be helped. So you can use that as a good way to start the conversation.
0: Coming back to your MVP landing page copywriting model, you mentioned the benefits here. Are we talking about making sure they're infused in all the sections of the page? Or are we talking about a very specific call-out section where it's you know three boxes in a row as an example?
1: I think for the purpose of skimming, because everyone skim reads, you should have it as a specific section. It doesn't have to be titled benefits, but they have to be clear out there. So whether that's using a bigger font to say time savings or, I don't know, ease of use or better than XYZ competitor, it has to be somewhere right up there. So people care and keep scrolling. And then obviously infuse the rest of your landing page, copy with with them.
0: Is there any particular style to writing benefits to make them better than usual
1: don't don't be too wordy so i think if you have to use more than one or two lines very short lines to explain those benefits you're probably doing it wrong and you should try to narrow it down a bit more and then you know use formatting so it exists for a purpose use bold use bigger use a bigger font try to do everything you can to make them stand out if you can also use visual aids like GIFs or something like that, icons, that also helps. But again, it's if your entire landing page is just cacophonic, if, if you have a lot of things going on at the same time, then that's going to be hard. But try to make it contrast with the rest of your design.
0: And scrolling down this hypothetical page here we, we we end up in the faq second F, faq section is there any magic to writing a, a good faq
1: i like using keyword research so um it's my content background but it's also really good for finding pe- for finding questions that people usually ask obviously try to source them in your user interviews but i know a lot of founders are not going to create focus groups for their landing pages so i'm just giving them a hacky way of doing it keyword research and people also ask section that's going to point you to the most important questions that you have to answer then try again try not to be too wordy explain explain the answer as quickly as possible yeah that's that's about it so get the questions that are actually relevant don't overdo it and uh, make it collapsible. You know, you don't want to take up too much real estate. You want to make sure that that FAQ section serves different visitors with very different questions and they can find them within one or two seconds.
0: And if, if you had to scale down this list to just the essential elements for someone who's just getting their, you know, their first soft launch out there, what what would that include
1: include your value proposition, include an explanation of what it is that your product does and include a CTA. That's, that's it. So just those three things, essentially your hero section. If, if you don't have anything else, just a really, really good hero section.
0: Fantastic. I think a lot of people listening could be, you know, feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the thought of having to have an FAQ and that, uh, to the testimonials and social proof before they've they've really gotten some traction there. But that makes a lot of sense. If there was a menu of elements, you know, what would you say are some of the key things that people should be looking to add to the page once they've gotten that traction to improve its performance?
1: So unless you already have testimonials and FAQs, try those. Then secondly, I like to do a lot of experimentation. So I don't like to change things up too much in the structure itself. But you can always use heat mapping software to see where people linger, where they scroll really quickly past when using your landing page. Heat map software is really good for that. So I've used it previously and it helps us identify sections that maybe aren't important. Let's say maybe people scroll past your feature section like really quickly. Then it's time to ask yourself, "Is, is that section really worth it? Do people already get this? Can I include something else? I also like recommending to add a live chat or a chat bot, something like that, that gets people engaged. And that's typically the case with products where you see longer sales cycles. So that's typically your enterprise products, that sort of thing. You want to start that conversation and a live chat works perfectly for that.
0: In terms of newly launched products versus a more established product, what would you say are the benchmark conversion rates that people should keep in mind? Understanding that every product's different, but are there sort of percentages that you look out for?
1: So typically, it, it depends on your traffic as well. So I would say if you have a very specific landing page that is for ads, for example, that's always going to be more optimized and you're always going to be able to get higher conversion rates. The average is there around, well, I don't know, 5%, I think, is now the benchmark. For a generic landing page, for example, the homepage landing page, you're going to get all sorts of traffic there. Some of it is going to be qualified. Some of it is not going to be qualified. So the average is around 2 to 3%. Personally, I don't like to aim for a specific percent because that's really hard to do. I know people do that. But I always say for, you know, 90%, and that's just to be realistic. But if you're getting started, if you have received 1,000 visits already, which I think is a good representative sample, anything under that, it's really biased. If you already have those visits, I think 5 to 10% are really good benchmarks for your landing page. Anything above that requires further optimization and professional work. But if you're a solo founder getting five to ten percent, you're doing great. You're doing great, and I should probably take lessons. So,
0: it's one of those things because I, I understand I understand where you're coming from, and that you know it could be fifty percent if it's a referral source, and it could be you know under one percent if it's like a, a long tail uh, or a very high top of funnel keyword from Google search. So it it really depends. But just knowing that you have that five percent benchmark. I think can help understand when there may be a major problem. If if you do, like you said, you get the thousand people in, oh, there's less than one percent. Maybe something's not great here, which makes a lot of sense. Not to put you too much on the spot. This is a little bit different to what we talked about prior to <laughs> prior to the recording. But if we could take this process down, and I'm going to put you in the uh, in your existing copywriter seat. And we're going to take on this mythical photo editing app as an example. So they have no user research already. They're looking to create this landing page. What are you doing in this situation to go from zero to launched landing page? That is is good.
1: Okay. So like a really bare bones process that doesn't include my writing brief. First, we're talking about their imagined use cases. So what do they imagine people doing with it? In the long term, who are, who's the audience? So are you going to be targeting social media managers? Are you going to be targeting influencers? Who are you specifically speaking to? And it's really important in the beginning to have at least one segment that you're, that you're focusing on. Because if you cast a broad net, unfortunately, what happens is your landing page stops speaking to any segment in particular. And you see conversion rates go down for every segment. So try to narrow narrow down all of that to one focal point. Secondly, we're going to be talking about their competitors. So I want to know why their competitors aren't doing good. Why do people need their app? So why did they build the app in the first place? Is there a founding story to it? Did the founder try different apps and realize that none of them actually helped him or her with their editing needs? And then f- we're also going to do some general research. So like I said, I like talking to clients. I like intake briefs, but I like doing my own research because it's just better to get that objective information. And then finally, we're going to turn all of that into a landing page that speaks to that particular audience segment. With apps, I, uh, with B2C apps, I'm not typically in the B2C space, but I know it's always good to be very concise So I would make it a very visual landing page. I would show them before, afters, that sort of thing, because that's what people are really looking for in that type of an app. Or let's say I would highlight the features that it has, but I would always start with what do we have that competitors don't? And why does our audience care about that? Because I think a lot of projects happen without doing that Validation first, without doing that testing, and then you end up with a product that's kind of in between. You're not sure if it actually serves a very specific purpose. Does that help?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a very tangible example of, of how you would go through the process. Excellent. For people who want to learn more or connect with you, where should they go?
1: So I'm on Twitter at Lana Rafaela. C C as in cat. And I also I'm also on LinkedIn. We do also have a website cherryredcontent.com but you know the shoemaker has the worst shoes so we don't we haven't um, been very active on our blog but yeah, it's gonna happen it's gonna happen we were just drowning in work but one of these days we're also going to have a blog so until then Twitter and LinkedIn let's stay in touch there and I'll let everyone know when we're ready to start posting our case studies, white papers, resources. We've got quite a few good things cooking up.
0: I'll make sure to link all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Lana.
1: Thank you, Ben. It was great talking to you.